Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match and I'm standing and pacing in my den. So in go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Bernalis. You're missing a B there, but that's... There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Give me a name. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. A proud member of the Audio Boom family of podcasts and now available to 93 million subscribers on iHeartRadio. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am your host, internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, as heard on BBC Radio, the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, Joe Lanza. This is week two of Rich Creech's excursion to Italy. So once again, we had to bring on a special guest host to help me out with the show. I am joined by none other than no one. That's right, no one. You may have seen earlier in the week when I announced that Sirius XM's Larry Dallas would be co-hosting the show this week. Larry is not here. This is not a bit. This is not radio shtick. Um, we, as, as, as the hardcore listeners to this show know, we are about 32 hours late in releasing the show. Larry had a real-life issue come up, and we rescheduled 
for the next day. And we were in constant communication up until a couple of hours before we were all set to record. And I stopped hearing back from Larry Dallas. He has not answered my messages. He has not read my messages as I record this. So if you're expecting a Larry Dallas burial, you're not going to get one. I have no idea if the guy's okay. I don't know if he's um, dead. I I don't know. I haven't heard from him. So uh, Larry just dropped off the planet and stopped communicating. So um, it's going to be a Joe Lanza solo adventure. We haven't done one in a while. So prepare for uh, lots of long pauses. The long pauses are going to be coming fast and furious on this edition of the Voices of Wrestling podcast. We have a lot to get to. Actually, you know, we don't have a lot to get to. This was a very slow news week. I was really scrambling for topics. And now that I've uh, lost my co-host, I did tailor a lot of the topics around Larry Dallas. So I'm kind of scrambling here and restructuring things. This was such a light news week that I planned on opening with Jinder Mahal, of all people. But I mean, let's be honest, Jinder Mahal's really been the big story this week in wrestling. I, I, it, it's, it's, it's sort of surreal that, you know, Jinder Mahal has been the talk of the wrestling world. But I, I mean, look at it this way. The lead story in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter this week was Jinder Mahal. And it's not because he died. And it's not because he killed someone. I mean, it was just, it, it 100% wrestling related that Jinder Mahal is the top story in professional wrestling this week. I mean, you can't make it up. So later in the show, we'll break down the whole Jinder Mahal situation. I think, uh, you know, with a lot of topics, I think there's extreme takes on Jinder Mahal on both sides. I think the people bashing the Jinder Mahal main event thing are going way overboard. I think uh, some of the people defending it are going way overboard. So you guys have Joe Lanza to be 100% fair, as always, call it down the middle and just tell it like it is. Because I think there's been so many extreme takes on this that, that I'm, listen, I'm going to bring calm, assertive reasoning to the Jinder Mahal situation later in the show. We're going to talk about TNA a little bit. Strike through. Impact Wrestling. That one was on purpose, but when we get to that segment, I guarantee you I call it TNA at some point. I mean, how can you not? It's been, it's you know, 15 years we're calling this place TNA, and all of a sudden you have to retrain your brain to refer to it as Impact Wrestling. I mean, it's an almost impossible task. I mean, every now and then, I still let out a WWF. So, you know, this Impact Wrestling thing, it's just, it's going to take a while to stick. We're going to preview Evolve 82 and 83 at some point in the show. Are those the numbers? Let me look that up. Yeah, Evolve 82 and Evolve 83. It was Evolve 80 and Evolve 81 in Orlando over WrestleMania weekend. I watched those shows. I watched the WWN Super Show. Got all caught up on that this week, so we're going to preview 
the two Evolve shows, 82 and 83, taking place in New York City this coming weekend. And maybe a few other topics along the way. We might touch on ROH a little bit. Last week when Mike, Mike Sempervivi was on the show, and that, that show, by the way, got rave reviews. You guys love that show. And it did good numbers, too. Last week with Mike Sempervivi, who was a tremendous co-host, who I can guarantee you will be back on this show at some point. Uh, we talked about the entire show was uh, New Japan Sakura Genesis. And we, at the time that we recorded, we didn't have the full information on Katsuyori Shibata. And I'm not quite sure that we still do anyway. But now that we have more information, I, I, I may go uh, you know, retouch on, on some Katsuyori Shibata points. Now that it looks like uh, his career may be over. We did not know that at the time we recorded. So uh, we may go back and touch on that. But what I want to start with was breaking news from a few hours ago. As I record this on a Friday night slash early Saturday morning, House of Hardcore held a show in Metuchen, New Jersey. They've got a double shot. They're running Philadelphia at the old ECW arena on Saturday. On Saturday the 22nd. Uh, This show, it was uh, an absolute shit show. And there's some newsworthy stuff that came out of it. It ended up being a seven-match show. The entire card was forced to be reshuffled. Matt Riddle... Did not was was advertised for the show, was booked for the show, did not appear on the show. He no-showed because he was double-booked with PWG. And Matt Hardy, who was also advertised for the show and is also advertised for Philly, did not wrestle on the show. He did appear on the show, but he did not wrestle as his singles match with Tommy Dreamer ended up being a tag team match with the Spirit Squad facing Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray. Matt Hardy was attacked by the Spirit Squad, Bully Ray made the save, and Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer faced the Spirit Squad in the main event. Matt Hardy did not work the show because WWE would not allow him to wrestle on Flow Slam. As you guys know, as we've beaten to death on this show, WWE most certainly has a grudge with Flow Slam. Even though they are minority investors in Flow Sports, they're annoyed that Flow Sports got into the pro wrestling streaming game. And they would not allow Matt Hardy to wrestle. Tommy Dreamer implied strongly, without outright saying so, according to people that were at the show, that Matt Hardy was actually appeared on the show uh, despite the fact that he was told not to, to not appear at all because he did cut a promo and did get in the ring and then they did the angle. Uh, Dreamer implied very strongly that, that Matt Hardy, you know, did that on his own volition because, you know, he knew he couldn't work. Although that's not 100% confirmed. Point is, he didn't wrestle. Let's circle back to the Matt Riddle thing because I think that's where the story is interesting. This is not the first time that a wrestler has been double booked on the same day as a PWG show. And it is not the first time that Matt Riddle himself has been double booked the day of a PWG show. He no-showed a PCW show in England, which took place on the same day as a PWG show. 
And now he's done the same to House of Hardcore. Other wrestlers have been uh, caught in this predicament as well. ACH no-showed a VIP wrestling show in Dallas because he was double-booked for PWG. And there have been other instances as well, which I can't remember, so I don't want to throw names out there and unfairly, you know, say that people uh, pulled this or not. But Matt Riddle twice for sure, ACH for sure, and there have been others. And, you know, it, it, we're, we're seeing a pattern here. It's very clear to me that what's happening is PWG knows that wrestlers are going to drop everything and work their show, whether they're booked for someone else or not. Because PWG is the place to work, and these wrestlers are going to make a killing on their merch and their t-shirts and all that. And it's a place to be seen. The shows have buzz. And if you're booked for VIP Wrestling or House of Hardcore or PCW and PWG comes calling with the same date, as we've seen now, as has become a pattern, these wrestlers are working the PWG show. What this tells me is that PWG is very nonchalant about when they book these wrestlers. They're in no hurry to book anybody because why should they be? These wrestlers obviously will screw these other promotions and work the PWG show anyway. And the fact that this has become a pattern and we see these wrestlers constantly double booked for PWG tells me that PWG is booking these wrestlers after these wrestlers are already booked for these other promotions. And if you're PWG and you know you can get away with that, I mean, you know, So what about the wrestlers? Now, in my opinion, if you're booked for VIP wrestling and you're booked for VIP wrestling months in advance or for House of Hardcore or for whoever else and PWG comes calling two weeks before the show, you should work the original booking. I mean, that's just the right thing to do. Or you should set up some sort of make good with the original promote and and maybe these wrestlers have I can tell you that when ACH no showed VIP wrestling the night of the show the promoter was irate irate I don't know if there was a make good since that I don't I don't have that information but the night of the show was irate and with all the other issues Tommy Dreamer was dealing with tonight he had that to deal with. No, it's, it's I, you know, I, these wrestlers really should honor the original booking. It, it's, you know, now I, I have heard stories where wrestlers will, you know, where, where they, they're double booked or whatnot. And, you know, they'll go back and, and, and work for the other promotion, either for free or for an extreme discount or whatever the case may be. And, and that's fine. If, if that's what Matt Riddle is going to do for Tommy Dreamer, that's great. But I, 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 look, I get the sense that PWG is just doing whatever the hell they want because they know they can get away with it. Because they know these wrestlers are going to bend over backwards to go work their shows. And I don't want to let Tommy Dreamer off the hook here either because he knew Matt Riddle wasn't going to be there. He knew WWE wasn't going to allow Matt Hardy to wrestle. And he did announce these things before the show, but he didn't offer a refund. And look, 
Matt Hardy was the headliner. He was in the main event, and, he, and he's someone who clearly a lot of fans probably paid to see wrestle. And I know he appeared, but he didn't wrestle. Cut a promo and all that. Matt Riddle was arguably the second highest profile wrestler on the show, third or fourth at worst. You know, Bully Ray was on the show, okay. MVP was on the show, okay. If you want to make arguments for those guys, but you can't really make an argument for anyone else. So, you know, when you have arguably, when you have the, the clear-cut main eventer for the show, and arguably the second highest profile wrestler on the show, either not appearing, not wrestling, or both, you know, maybe Tommy Dreamer should have offered some refunds. I know he was in a tough spot, and, and neither of these things were his fault. Dreamer told the crowd that moving forward, he was going to attempt to sign wrestlers to one-day contracts so that if there's ever a discrepancy or, or, or a dispute, you know, with, with Flow Slam or anything else, that he'll have the you know, legal backing so that these people can wrestle. So the card got all reshuffled. Uh, Bully Ray was pulled from his match with Sammy Callahan. He was replaced by Bobby Fish. That ended up being the best match on the show. Um, you know, the rest of the show ranged from uh, a complete waste of time to, to very mediocre. And look, Dreamer was in a tough spot. And, you know, we'll see what happens in Philly. By the time most of you listen to this, the Philly show will have happened. I think it's extremely doubtful that the Hardys wrestle on that show. Leo Rush has already been tweeting out on social media that he's not showing up in Philly. He's not coming to the Philly show. So, rough weekend for Tommy Dreamer and House of Hardcore. With, you know, a little bit of blame to go around on everyone. But Matt Riddle, you know, whether it's not wanting to lose the Pirates or uh, double booking himself and blowing off prior commitments to go to PWG, I don't know. I mean, I like the guy as much as anyone bell to bell, but and I don't want to trash the guy. Like I said, if, you know, he could have make goods with these promotions. I, we saw how it played out with AIW. Not good. But look, you know, sometimes wrestlers and promoters have disputes. It's, it's not uncommon at all. But I mean, you know, it's we're seeing a pattern here of Matt Riddle not doing the right thing in in every circumstance. And you know, WWE's watching. He claims he doesn't want to go, at least for now. But they got an eye on him, and you know, this stuff. You know, they're watching some other wrestlers too, from what I understand. They're keeping an eye on some other unsigned wrestlers too to see if they slip up. Guys with reputations, so. They're always watching. I want to tell you guys about something I discovered really big. The best new way to buy business travel. It's called Upside.com. And if you're a business traveler or you know someone who is, you have to tell them about Upside. Here's why I love Upside. Here's why I use Upside. Every time you buy a trip at Upside, you save a ton of money and they give you an Amazon gift card worth either $100, $200, or even $300 every single time. And the way they do this is very clever. What they do 
is Upside bundles your flights and your hotels together for one low price. Bundled pricing saves money, especially when it comes to business travel. And I travel for business a lot. So Upside is able to give you these free Amazon gift cards as a result. If you're a frequent business traveler like Joe Lanza, your company saves a ton of money and you can get thousands of dollars a year just for buying your air and hotel together at Upside. Plus, you still get all of your airline miles. I mean, you'd be crazy not to check out Upside.com if you're shopping for business travel. It takes just three minutes to see how much you can save by buying your flights and hotel together for one low price. And I cannot believe it's taken someone this long to think of this. This is what I have for you guys. My listeners, use the code BIZTRIP, B-I-Z-T-R-I-P, that's B-I-Z-T-R-I-P, and you're guaranteed to get at least a $200 Amazon gift card on your first trip booked. The code is BIZTRIP, B-I-Z-T-R-I-P, B-I-Z-T-R-I-P. It gets you at least a $200 Amazon gift card for free. How can you not do this? It's a no-brainer. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every single trip. I love Upside.com. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See the site for complete details. Let's talk about Jinder Mahal. The big story in wrestling this week, Jinder Mahal. I can't believe we're doing this. But here we are. Um, look, Jinder Mahal wins the six-man on SmackDown. He is the number one contender for Randy Orton's WWE Championship. Is that what they're calling that title on SmackDown? I know the Raw title, the Fruit Roll-Up title, is the uh, Universal Championship. Now, the SmackDown title, they've changed the name uh, several times. It was the WWE title. It was the... Uh, world, WWE world title. I Who knows? The one Randy Orton holds. You know, after his uh, House of Horrors match with Bray Wyatt, which apparently is not for the title. Bray Wyatt, now a Raw wrestler. But they're tying up the loose end there. Because look, as if their dud of a WrestleMania match wasn't enough torture, they're going to give us another Randy Orton-Bray Wyatt match, which is going to be loaded with gimmicks and loaded with nonsense. I mean, does anyone want to see that? And I know sometimes I say that on this show, and I'm speaking to a certain kind of fan, but is there any kind of fan who enjoys Bray Wyatt at this point? I mean, is there? I mean, it's just terrible. Fans were laughing at the match at WrestleMania when the maggots and the roaches or the st- and all that nonsense was projected onto the... People were laughing at it. That wasn't the desired reaction. But, you know, we're dealing with a company that almost never gets the desired reaction. So they don't care. They just plow forward. And I thought Dave Meltzer made a great point in The Observer this week. He actually echoed a point that I made about a month ago or two months ago on this show. WWE booking does not matter. It doesn't matter. It's pointless to analyze. It's boring to analyze because it doesn't matter. In the old days, or even in the current day, if it's any other promotion in the world, 
a bad booking decision would negatively affect your business. If you booked, say, Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt in a match that people didn't want to see, people wouldn't buy the pay-per-views. And that would be bad. If you booked Randy Orton versus Jobber for Life Jinder Mahal and you didn't properly get Jinder Mahal over, the pay-per-view would bomb and it would be very bad for business. You could leave potentially hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars on the table with poor booking decisions. The difference now is they have the network and you've already purchased it. So month-to-month booking doesn't really matter. At least not nearly to the degree that it used to. And they know it. And they know it. So you can do things like push Jinder Mahal out of nowhere because there's very little risk. And when there's very little risk, there's really very little point in analyzing this stuff. How will we know that Jinder Mahal's match against Randy Orton has bombed? We're not going to get new network numbers uh, until the next quarterly call. And people aren't going to cancel their network in the same manner that they would refuse to buy a pay-per-view based on one match that they don't like. Which is why I said months ago on this show that WWE booking is pointless to analyze. And why Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer this week that WWE booking does not matter. This is why some of these gender Mahal takes are just completely out to lunch. Why people are going completely insane that this man has been given an overnight push. I, I, you know, it's, these are knee-jerk reactions. Here's the thing. Let's circle back. The brand split in theory And the original brand split in 2003 or whenever it was. I might have the year wrong. The big selling point on the brand split was that it would give more people opportunities to move up the card. So isn't this what the brand split's all about? Giving different people a shot? If that's the case, how can you be mad that they're giving Jinder Mahal a shot? It may not work. It may bomb. We have different, uh, there's less ways to measure whether that bombs or not. This is a company that clearly doesn't care about uh, audience reaction. Just look at Roman Reigns. Uh, you know, they, they, um, the television ratings, which continue to drop steadily as they continue to push Roman Reigns, but that's, um, I promise you I'm not doing that this week. Uh, they seem to ignore that. I mean, they're, they're, they're focused on uh, network growth, and, and as well they should be. I mean, that, that's the future, and that's what's going to carry them. Um, so it's, okay, what, you know, it's 
I'm seeing things like, you know, you can't push a guy who's been a jobber for his entire career and you just push him overnight and no one's going to buy into him. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. If this were the pay-per-view era, I would be burying this six feet under and would be predicting a terrible pay-per-view number because they haven't done a very good job getting Jinder Mahal over to the extent that he needs to be over for a world title match. But this isn't the pay-per-view era. The network subscriptions are bought and they're not going to be canceled based on this match. And oh, by the way, here's the other thing about this. You can make a very solid argument that this is this won't even be the top program heading into that SmackDown pay-per-view or network event or whatever you want to call them now. Because AJ Styles is still the top dog on the show, not Randy Orton. And it appears as though, at least for now, the United States title is going to be featured more heavily on SmackDown while they're going through this Jinder Mahal program for the world title. So, Orton versus Mahal may not even be the main event of Backlash when we get around to it on May 21st. Which makes a lot of these complaints even sillier and lacking of perspective. So it'll be even less impactful if Mahal doesn't get over. They're they're building things around the U.S. title and Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. At least it looks that way. This is going to be a secondary program for this this show and probably the semi-main event. Whether it goes on last or not, it's it's not the, the top focus. It doesn't appear to be right now. And, and it's either giving a new guy a shot. It's all right. It's a, it could be a one month thing, or maybe he catches on and it and and you know builds some momentum, or maybe they stick with him even you know if he doesn't get over to the level that they want him to. It, again, it doesn't matter. And they've given him a little stable with the Bollywood boys. They dusted those guys off. And let me tell you something. That's the other facet to this. India. And why people are ignoring this. Despite the fact that the information's out there now. The company has opened up a, a online shop based around India that's going to have, you know, that's going to be, they're going to have merchandise, you know, for Jinder Mahal and the Bollywood boys. Uh, so they're going to push these guys to, to what level? We don't know yet. But they see India as an untapped market. And they're right. It's an enormous population. They like wrestling. If it wasn't for India, it's entirely possible that Impact Wrestling wouldn't exist today. They were sustaining themselves on their television deal from India and still are. And WWE wants a piece of that action. They want to break into that market. Just like they want to break in big to China, which is why they have about a dozen 
Chinese wrestlers in the Performance Center right now. And they've got some Indian wrestlers in the Performance Center right now. One of them worked the, the, the latest NXT tapings. It may have been a dark match. In fact, I think it was. But both of the guys they have there, I believe they worked the last tour of India. With the main crew. They're serious about India. And when you have wrestlers on your roster of Indian descent, they're going to benefit. So Jinder Mahal and, and you know, his, his pals, the Bollywood boys, get a little push here. So what? Why is that winding people up? My biggest concern here about this whole deal is that the match will be terrible. I mean, because Jinder Mahal has never had a good match in this company. The closest thing Jinder Mahal has had, at least that I've seen, the closest thing that Jinder Mahal ever had to a good match in this company was the WLC match that he wasn't officially a part of. When 3MB took all those crazy bumps at the end of the match. Because that, that was a fun match, and it was a legitimately good match with Hornswoggle and El Torito in the WLC match. But, you know, Jinder wasn't even officially part of that. This is a guy who somehow managed to have a bad match with Cesaro. Would you think about that? He had a bad match with Cesaro. That's almost impossible. I'm pretty confident I could have a two and a half star match with Cesaro. And this guy got eight and a half minutes with Cesaro on a pay-per-view and had a, and had a poor match. And when you throw in that Randy Orton, who's easily annoyed, easily uninterested, and very cranky if he feels like he's not being presented in the proper manner, when you throw in the fact that Randy Orton is going to be in the semi-main event spot of this pay-per-view against perennial jobber Jinder Mahal, we could get a very unmotivated and very cranky Randy Orton in this match. And let me tell you something. Motivated and happy Randy Orton doesn't always deliver, uh, you know, bell to bell. Unmotivated, cranky Randy Orton, who doesn't give a shit about his program with Jinder Mahal, and doesn't give a shit about Jinder Mahal, and is probably going to, and who could be trying to figure out how to get back at the top of the card with AJ Styles and Kevin Owens, could throw a stamp on this one. Now, I have no doubt Jinder will work hard. This is the biggest match of his life, and it's not even close. This is a huge opportunity for him. The company is getting behind him for the first time ever. I mean, really, you'd have to go back to when they first brought him to the main roster and he was winning those handicap matches over jobbers on SmackDown on a weekly basis, and then that fizzled quickly, and then the 3MB thing happened. He's never been pushed. So he's going to take this serious, and I, good luck to the guy. He's I, he's going to work his ass off to make this work. He's given some fiery promos and all those things. He's obviously gotten his body in shape. But this is this is this is a perfect spot for Randy Orton not to give a shit. I mean, it really is. And from that perspective, if that's what happens, 
I feel bad for Jinder Mahal. I really do. I mean, Randy Orton's not my first choice, you know, by any means, for a guy to lead a below-average worker through his first main event program and get good matches out of it. I mean, I'm not even confident that a happy, motivated Randy Orton could do that, let alone one that might be a little cranky. This is a bad mix. It really is. Because how can you have any confidence that Jinder Mahal is going to deliver? What? When has he ever shown? I mean, this is a guy who two weeks ago was having one-star matches with Curtis Axel on main event. I mean, I'm not making it up. Go on your little network and watch. The guy's not good. At best, he's average. At best. But look, they're serious about India. And they're rolling out some things in India. And, you know, he was an Indian guy on the roster who looks like he does. I can totally see where Vince McMahon would make this decision. And it's not the end of the world. What's the big deal? You know, they're smart enough not to build the show around it. In a lot of ways, it sort of reminds me of the Naito Juice Robinson match from the perspective of they loaded up that card with a Tanahashi singles match against Evil and a Hiromu Takahashi junior title match against Ricochet because New Japan doesn't fully trust Juice Robinson to headline a card and sell it out. So they gave Tetsuya Naito and Juice Robinson a ton of support on that undercard. That's kind of the same feel that we have here. We're okay. We're going to do this thing with gender. We're taking the Indian market seriously. But we're not going to go all the way with it and build the brand around it. We're going to do this thing with the United States title. We're going to turn AJ Styles babyface since he's clearly the most popular guy on on the brand. And we're going to rely on that. And again, circling all the way back to the beginning here, it doesn't fucking matter anyway. Their booking doesn't matter. They can do what they want. Within the realm of, you know... You know, if, if if they make completely boneheads, yeah, long term, it's going to, you know, they're going to, but it's a whole new world with the network. It's not month to month. It doesn't matter. You can, you can do things like this and try new people and the risk is like totally mitigated with the network. So good for Jinder Mahal, good for the Bollywood boys, good for the Colognes too. Okay, they switch brands. They drop the stupid Shining Stars thing, which was an enormous stigma because it was a terrible gimmick and they were jobbers and all those things. And now they're getting a shot. They're getting a big push as challengers for the tag team titles. And look, again, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if they just have too much of a jobber stink on them. But again, this is what the, the brand split is designed for to give people chances. And those are talented guys. I've always liked them. 
And they've been pushed before. They've been champions before. You know, before the, the Matador deal. You know, and, and you know, they we'll see. It's it, look, maybe all this works, maybe none of it works. But it, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So I just I think some of the gender takes are just outrageous. I mean, this is the furthest thing from the end of the world. And look, the other end of it, let's stop pretending that this guy is some kind of great wrestler. I mean, like I said, he's never had a good match. He's never had a good match in his life. This is a guy who, when he was released, uh, you know, coming off the 3MB thing, when, when, when Jinder Mahal and Drew McIntyre were released, this is a guy, and he lived in Houston, Okay, and I'm down here, and I'm I'm familiar, intimately familiar with the indie scene down here. He couldn't get booked in Texas on indie show. This was a guy coming off WWE TV, and he could not get booked in the higher profile places in Texas. And I spoke to promoters who told me point blank, "Why would I book that guy?" How many other people coming fresh off WWE TV can't even get booked in their own backyard? I mean, come on. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a guy couldn't get booked. And when he did get booked, his, his performances were not inspiring. Okay? They weren't. Poor reviews. Didn't work hard. Matches weren't good. calling it like it is. So my biggest concern here, my biggest worry is whether the match is good with Randy. Because that match, it's a recipe for disaster. Poor worker versus a guy who has no problems mailing it in or being cranky. Especially if he feels a match or an opponent, or beneath him. And look, I don't know. Maybe Randy Orton is best friends with Jinder Mahal. I have no idea. But, you know, I look, I need to see Jinder Mahal perform well, bell to bell, before I jump on the Jinder Mahal train. And I've never seen that. I'm just being fair. You know, I mean, it's a below average guy. And I'm, I'm kind of being nice. Because, I mean, come on, Jinder Mahal stinks. Can we just be honest? When has he ever shown anybody anything that, that you know they didn't stink? They ain't completely. He's arguably in the bottom. Not even arguably. He's bottom ten percent of the roster in terms of bell to bell. I think that's fair to say. If you eliminate you know the PC people who haven't debuted on TV yet, here's a little mental exercise for you. Start naming people on the roster who are worse than Jinder Mahal bell to bell, who are definitely, like it's inarguable, this person is worse than Jinder Mahal bell to bell. Start naming them. I'll wait. I'll do it along with you. Enzo Amore, maybe. I, I, I can't say that Enzo Amore is definitely worse bell to bell than Jinder Mahal because... I've seen Enzo Amore be an excellent babyface in, in peril part of a, t- of a tag team match. I don't think I've ever seen Jinder Mahal do that. Again, I've never personally seen Jinder Mahal have a, have a match that, that was above, that was good. 
I've never seen Jinder Mahal have a three-star match. So it's the bell to bell that I'm worried about. I mean, who, who, who's worse than, is Carmella worse than him? Let's leave the women out of this. What male wrestlers are definitely worse than Jinder Mahal? I mean, the list, I, you know, the list is short. It may be no one. So anyway, that's Jinder Madness. Can't believe we let off a show. With, well, technically we didn't. Technically we let off the show with House of Hardcore. Which, if you would have told me like a year ago, what are you more, Joe, what are you more likely to lead off a show with? House of Hardcore or Jinder Mahal? I would have said House of Hardcore. So, I mean, you know. Some ROH news this week. Mr. Kennedy is getting a ROH World Television title shot against Marty Skrull in Minnesota. How about that? I had a little conversation with some... uh, at the Ring of Honor office. And uh, look, this is another thing that people are going nuts about. And look, I'm not thrilled. Am I excited to see Ken Kennedy? Or Ken Anderson? Did I call him Ken Kennedy? Mr. Kennedy? Mr. Anderson? I think I called him Ken Kennedy. He hasn't been known as Ken Kennedy for like a decade. So yeah, Ken Anderson challenging Marty Skrull for the ROH. World television title. Uh, Look, I'm not excited about that match either. But um, from what I understand, it is a one-off. For now. There's no plans to use him beyond this one show. And from what I was told, this was uh, before you start sending your your angry letters to the lizard man. I was told that this was a collaborative decision among the ROH booking team. Look, that's how it was phrased to me. I don't know what to tell you. Apparently, there's an ROH booking team. And apparently this was a collaborative decision and not the decision of any one person. So I'm going to throw something else at you and I'm going to let you guys connect your own dots. ROH World Champion Christopher Daniels is doing a seminar at Ken Anderson's wrestling school that he runs with Davari, not Aria Davari, Sean Davari, the OG Davari. And Christopher Daniels, as savvy listeners to this show know, is uh, certainly had his voice heard when it comes to Ring of Honor creative decisions. So, I don't know. There's some maybe dot connecting to do there? I, I, I don't know. I think that's your connection, more so than the Lizard Man. But again, he's a guy local to Minnesota. They probably think he'll sell some tickets. I'm not so sure if I agree with that. Uh, I, I, I see far more logic in booking somebody like Bully Ray than I do uh, uh, 
you know, Ken Anderson. But again, this this appears to be a one-off. And I was flat out told that for now it is a one-off. So again, relax, relax, wrestling fans of the internet. Okay, the world is not going to collapse in on itself because Mr. Anderson is challenging Marty Skrull for uh, the television title in Minnesota. It'll be okay. And for all the flack that Ring of Honor takes, and from me included, I mean, you guys listen to the show. We've, we, listen, we've been brutal to Ring of Honor at times on this show. Here's the thing about Ring of Honor, though. They're doing record business everywhere they go over the last 24 to 48 months. They just did their record house in Orlando on a show that people buried because it was too far from the rest of the shows and it took them forever to uh, uh, to say who was going to be on the show and to announce the matches. And Well, you know what? 3,500 paid fans later and they've they set themselves a record attendance. So we've got to be fair. Maybe we don't like some of the creative in Ring of Honor. I'm not thrilled with a lot of it. Although I don't think it's as bad as some people say There's obvious flaws. But the bottom line here is, listen, this as 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 most of you listening know, as long as they keep delivering ratings for Sinclair and delivering uh, relatively cheap programming for these Sinclair affiliates to fill airtime and keep delivering at the gate, which they've been doing. What's the booker's job? What's creative's job? To, to draw money, right? Well, this is a company that's doing better than they've ever done in their history in terms of business, both at the live gate. There's more eyes on their television than ever. And they're drawing more fans to shows than ever. At a literal record pace in some cases. In some markets and their overall you know, the, the the New York City show coming up. You know, the one they just had. The one these shows do tremendous. Um, you know, the 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 War to World show. I mean, you know, it, it it's going to do tremendous business. So it's it's hard to knock them from that perspective. Can they maintain it? I don't know. Will letting young stars slip away eventually bite them? Traditional. Wrestling logic says yes. We, you know, myself and Rich ran down the roster a couple of months ago. You know, good, solid veteran hand all up and down the roster. Not a lot of young guys to build around. Uh, You know, Punisher Martinez, I think he's like 36 years old. As much as I say that I've turned the corner on that guy, I mean, he's not a long-term answer. He's pushing 40. I don't know if he's 36. He's at least 34. I'll look it up now. I think he's 36, though. I think I, I looked up his age not too long ago, and I was surprised. So, you know, where's the young talent? Jay White's going to go back to New Japan. But, you know, short term, it's, it's, 
it's 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 getting increasingly hard to bury Ring of Honor from uh, from a business perspective because they just they're very successful right now. That's the bottom line. Scoreboard, you know, it's 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 one of those deals where it's point to the scoreboard. It may not, you know, it may not be pretty. It might be ugly, but they're winning. I don't want to see Ken Kennedy in, in, or Ken Anderson, whatever the hell his name is, in Ring of Honor. 35 years old, Punisher Martinez, by the way. Punishment Martinez. 35 years old. I don't want to see Ken Anderson in Ring of Honor either, but, you know, here's the thing. I think the Ring of Honor fan base, it's, it's, first of all, look, it's not the same type of fan base that it was in 2006. It just isn't. You know, that 2006 Ring of Honor fan base was an observer-reading, smarky, insider sort of crowd. And, and look, I still think you have some of that in Ring of Honor crowds today, but what you have far more of are Bullet Club shirt-wearing, these, these fans that are sort of caught in between being casual and hardcore. You know, and... and, and they just they want to they want to too sweet the young bucks and and you know it's funny because you hear people say all the time New Japan has to get rid of the Bullet Club they got to end the Bullet Club it's passe it's overdone we're tired of it. that is such a bad take you go to any indie show and I heard the same thing you know the young bucks and Omega were just in in you know Europe same thing Bullet Club shirts everywhere merch lines. Out the fucking door. I, any indie show I go to, people line. I went to an indie show. I went to Wrestle Circus. Tama Tonga was selling Bullet Club shirts. Line all the way around the table. The only line longer was for Sexy Star of all people because she was taking pictures with with fans. Her line, other than that, it was the Bullet Club line. And it was Tom. It was a, it was a B teamer. It was it was Tama Tonga. We're not talking Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks here. Okay, so the Bullet Club is going nowhere. And if you go to these Ring of Honor shows, they're lo- the Bullet Club is still super over. And that kind of fan, I mean, they popped for Bully Ray in New York City. Okay, and maybe they will buy tickets to see Ken Anderson. I don't know. But whatever Ring of Honor is doing, and all of these things that we... We roll our eyes at and we groan at. Business is better than it's ever been. Ever. In the history of the company. And when Carrie Silken fired Gabe Sapolsky in 2007, was it 2008? Okay. When he fired him in 2008, the reason he fired Gabe Sapolsky wasn't because he felt Gabe Sapolsky was doing a poor job. It was because he... Silken wanted to grow the fan base of the company and didn't feel like Gabe was the right person to do that. For the first time in Ring of Honor's history, whether it's been Gabe Sapolsky or Adam Pearce or Jim Cornette or Delirious the first time around, they have finally expanded their fan base beyond the type of fan that's listening to this show right now. 
and beyond Joe Lanza and Rich Krejci. Okay? They've turned some of us away and turned some of us off, but they've made up those numbers in droves with the new expanded fan base that they're drawing to these shows. And that is the absolute truth. I go to shows in San Antonio, and it's, it's, these, these are people, a large majority of the people that go to the shows in San Antonio are people who discovered Ring of Honor on Sinclair Television. And I've told the story before on the air. All Night Express re-debuted in Ring of Honor in San Antonio. I was there. And All Night Express, we're not talking a vintage 2005 ROH act here. Okay? They were around during the HD Net era, 2009-ish. Not that long ago. You know, we're not talking a decade ago. We're talking, you know... One era ago, not three eras ago. And they brought them back as this big surprise. And when their music hit and their logo hit the, hit the uh, ROH-tron, nobody knew who they were. Why? They were a pre-Sinclair act. The ROH, finally, after all these years, they've expanded their fan base Beyond the newsletter crowd. No matter how bad you think their booking is. And I I agree with a lot of the complaints. I'm going to take a short break. And when we come back. I do want to touch on some of the Shibata stuff now that we have new information. And we're also going to talk a little bit about TNA, and then we're going to preview the big Evolve shows coming up this weekend. So we'll be right back. Hello again, flagship listeners. Chris Maffei here to let you know what's happening at VoicesOfWrestling.com this week. But first, I'd like to thank this week's sponsor, Upside.com. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every trip. Use the code BIZTRIP and you're guaranteed at least a $200 Amazon gift card on your first trip booked. Once again, that code is B-I-Z-T-R-I-P. Over at VoiceOfWrestling.com this week, we've got reviews of Impact Wrestling on Pop, Rev Pro, Epic Encounter, Progress, ICW, WXW, Glory Pro Wrestling, Big Mike Elgin's new promotion, Dragon Gate, Gate of Passion, Tiger Mask W, and Total Divas, as well as previews of this weekend's Evolve 82 and 83. A bunch of new podcasts up this week, including a new Open the Voice Gate featuring yours truly. John and Mike were kind enough to invite me on to talk Champion Gate, the latest Karkin Hall show, preview the upcoming Dead or Alive cage match, as as well as break down the blocks for this year's King of Gate tournament, which looks excellent. This week's Shake Them Ropes, talking Broken Matt Hardy, Mike Bennett and Maria in WWE, and much more. Burning Spirits is back again this week, discussing some recent DDT in Big Japan, as well as a rundown of All Japan's Champion Carnival, which is now underway, and a new episode of Music of the Mat, in which Andrew and I explore the themes of Edge and Christian. Visit voiceofwrestling.com for all that and more. And iTunes is the worst, but please consider heading over there to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us all out tremendously. That'll do it for me. This is Chris Maffei throwing it back over to the lands. 
All right, we're back for part two of this week's Voices Wrestling flagship podcast, and we're going to start things off with a little bit of Katsuyori Shibata talk. Look, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this because it's sort of uh, old news at this point. We recorded at a very awkward time last week, myself and Mike Sempervivi. It was just a few hours before some more, uh, you know, more concrete news had emerged on on his physical uh, status. But I did think it was fair to sort of, uh, I did think it would be fair to go back and sort of um, clarify some of my thoughts and what I think about uh, what's going on with Shibata now that, you know, I know the full story. Um, it has since come out since we recorded that uh, there is far less speculation that his physical condition is a, is a work. And it is looking increasingly more likely that uh, there, there, there's a chance that he will never wrestle again. Now, just to get it out of the way, there, there, there's still some fishy things about this. And this is not me trying to be a conspiracy theorist or um, holding out some sort of delusional hope uh, that he may wrestle again. But it is a bit odd that no one on the New Japan roster has tweeted out any well wishes towards the man. Uh, We saw when Tomoaki Hanma suffered the neck injury on the botched DDT from Jado on the house show um, several weeks back that the New Japan roster, you know, flooded social media with, um, with, with, you know, thoughts and prayers and those sorts of things towards, towards Hanma. And the company was not shy about, um, talking about the, you know, they're the, the wrestlers or the company weren't shy about um, uh, talking about the situation. This Shibata thing has been different. It's, it's sort of been uh, you know, Satoshi Kojima put out a, you know, a, a get well tweet shortly after the news had broke that he was taken to the hospital and it was deleted, which is strange. Um, and, and nobody else has tweeted anything in regards to Shibata and the company has not really had much to say other than the initial statements that they put out and the initial uh, quotes from the doctor um, who's who's saying that it's basically that it's extremely doubtful that he'll ever be cleared to wrestle again. Um, That is a bit odd. Maybe, you know, you can make the argument that maybe due to the severity of the injury and the fact that he could have died, um, but, but at the same time, it's not as if Hanma's injury wasn't super... I mean, Hanma was paralyzed, you know, for a time, and it took him some time to regain feeling in his... Extra, you know, he... The Hanma situation was was just as serious as the Shibata situation. Um, you know, I don't want to... I don't know if Hanma's life necessarily was in danger at any point, but the man was in danger of being paralyzed from, you know... At, you know, in the early stages of what happened, and... and so it's not as if Hanma broke his arm, is what I'm getting at. Is what I'm I'm stumbling through my words here, but it's not as if Hanma suffered a broken arm or a broken leg, or uh, you know, a, even some a concussion. I mean, his situation was very serious too. So it's strange that they've they've treated one situation far different than the other. Uh, maybe because one was a botch and not even a botch, just a just an accident. And the other was was self-inflicted with the headbutt because we now know that according to the doctor, 
dehydration in combination with the blunt force trauma to the skull from the headbutt, presumably from the headbutt, are what caused Shibata's issues. And I do think the dehydration part has sort of been underplayed by a lot of people. Now, look, I'm not going to make the argument that headbutts are safe. Because they're not. I'm not going to make the argument that headbutts aren't stupid. Because they are. But long-time listeners sort of know where I'm going to go with this. Okay? If there was never another shoot headbutt in pro wrestling ever again... I wouldn't, I, you know, I couldn't possibly care less. I'd be totally okay with that. Don't need them. Don't want them. With that said, I will not be a hypocrite. And this is where things may get a tad controversial for some of you. And that's okay. Reasonable minds can disagree. With that said, while it would not pain me to never see another headbutt, ever again, a well-timed, well-placed headbutt in a pro wrestling match pops me every single time. And I popped off my couch when he hit Okada with that headbutt, and regardless of what happened in the aftermath and what we've seen happen in the aftermath with this terrible story, that headbutt on Okada was going to be the defining moment of that match, which is going to go down as a classic pro wrestling match, an all-time great pro wrestling match is, is what it was. It's the greatest match of Shibata's career and unfortunately maybe his last which is only going to make the match all the more memorable. But even if the injury hadn't occurred, it was going to go down as a classic all-time match. And that headbutt was the definitive moment in that match. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I didn't love that spot. Because I did. And I'm also not going to sit here and tell you that the next time I see a well-timed, well-placed headbutt that I'm not going to pop off my couch again because I probably will. If I'm lost in the moment and I'm lost in the match, I'm probably going to to, to be excited about the next one I see. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not going to be. And I understand for a lot of you that that's not going to be the case because of this close call where a man may have lost his career and almost lost his life. Where you, you know, if if you are of the stance that you're going to be sickened the next time, and let me tell you something. If you think you're never going to see a headbutt in a pro wrestling match again, you're nuts. Pro wrestlers, a lot of pro wrestlers, many pro wrestlers, are not your average human beings. A lot of them are flat out fucking crazy. And a lot of them are so driven and so desperate 
to rise up the card and be stars that they're willing to do almost anything to their bodies, including these headbutts. So you'll see headbutts. You may not see them in WWE. You may not see them in New Japan. I don't know. But you'll see headbutts. And if you fall onto the side of they disgust you and you're not going to be able to enjoy I totally understand. There's room to, to for you know for both sides of this. You know, and I'm and I'm not waving the flag for shoot headbutts. I'm not on team shoot headbutt. I'm not saying don't take away my headbutt. I, can, I couldn't care less if I never see one again. I'm not going to see or lie to you and tell you that I pro- I'll probably enjoy it again if if it's well timed, well placed, and if that makes me some sort of monster, I'm okay with that. At least I'm being honest. It's a great visual. And this was sort of a freak thing. The dehydration combined with the track. Look, he's done it before. We saw him. We saw Shibata give Nakajima, you know, a big headbutt. And that was a great spot, too. We talked about how much we loved it on this show. I'm not going to run from that. It's on tape. And so did a lot of you, a lot of you. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And and in fact, quite the opposite. I don't think wrestling fans should be guilted for for if, if they enjoy when these guys do extreme things to their body. These are grown men who make the choices of what they do to their body. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I don't feel guilty about it at all. I've seen at sushi, I've seen Atsushi Kotoge do shoot headbutts for years. One of the first things he did to to gain attention and to get himself over when he first joined Pro Wrestling Noah was deliver a shoot headbutt to Kenta. You know, whatever it was, seven, eight, nine years ago, whatever it was. And he's used them since. And he's been using them, uh, you know, in No Other Reborn. We've seen Shibata do them. We've seen many people use them. And I don't, I, and I don't think they're going away. And I do think it's kind of a slippery slope to to feel like as a fan you need to feel guilty when when you enjoy the you know not just headbutts but a lot of things that these guys choose to do with their bodies, men and women. I don't like death matches and I don't watch death matches and I haven't been a death match fan for probably 20, 25 years. Um, but I would never suggest that that they they should stop doing some of the things they do in these matches. Look, if Joey Janela wants to jump off a roof and go through glass and tables and nearly slice his hand off, more power to Joey Janela. I think it's stupid. And I know we're dealing with head injuries here and it's a whole nother animal. And um, I do think it's very extreme and very silly to bring up Chris Benoit every time there's a head injury. The Chris Benoit thing was an isolated, disgusting tragedy. Okay? I mean, you, you even if you didn't ban chair shots to the head, and even if we saw shoot headbutts in every pro wrestling match, you may never see another Chris Benoit situation. It was a terrible, disgusting tragedy. And I, I don't like when arguments are taken to 
extremes in that manner. And again, that's not me saying that you shouldn't that you shouldn't be against headbutts or chair shots to the head in pro wrestling matches. But I can tell you, we've seen far fewer chair shots to the head in recent years now that we've learned more about CTE and concussions. But when I see one, I don't I don't necessarily cringe or and maybe maybe that does make me a monster. I don't know, but I'm just being honest. It doesn't bother me. It's not my fucking head. And I don't think if someone takes a chair shot to the head that they're going to go murder their family. I just I I just think that's such a leap. I really do. I just think I just always think that that's such an outrageous leap. I don't personally make that leap. I just I it, I see that as an isolated tragedy. Do I think these guys are who choose to do headbutts and you know, continue to do uh, chair shots to the head or whatnot. Do I think that they're stupid? Yes. But I believe adults have the right to be stupid if they choose to be. I, I That's just the way I see things. Now, do I think promoters should have the right to ban headbutts in their promotions? Absolutely. Without question. Without question. From Vince McMahon to Takaake Kadani to uh, Shinshiro Takagi, to Gabe Sapolsky, to the guy who runs the show that draws 15 fans to the VFW hall down the street from your house. I think every one of those promoters has the right to ban headbutts from their promotions if they want to, and I would back up every one of their decisions if they chose to do that. Gabe Sapolsky has made comments in those directions. We know that stuff doesn't happen in WWE. And let me tell you, and let me tell you something, that has far more to do with PR and the fact that they're publicly traded. Okay, let's not play games. But, I, look, I, again, so it's not me trying to save the headbutt. I don't care about the headbutt, but I'm not going to lie to you and say I don't enjoy it when I see it and, I, and that I won't move it forward. Maybe I'm wrong. That's the other thing. Maybe I will see a shoot headbutt at some point and it will gross me out or it will give me trepidation or I, it, it, I don't, you know what? To be fair, I don't know. But just knowing what my personal standards are and where my personal lines are drawn and what I feel about, how I feel about things like personal responsibility, I, you know, it's, it's you know, here in Texas, there's no helmet law for people who ride motorcycles. Okay. First of all, I think riding motorcycles is a dangerous, reckless, nonsensical activity to begin with. If you like riding motorcycles, more power to you. I think it's idiotic. I think it's twice as idiotic if you ride a motorcycle without a helmet. But because there's no helmet laws in Texas, okay, I don't know if I've ever seen someone on a motorcycle with a helmet. They all choose to ride without a helmet. And I think it's it's incredibly stupid. And there's probably, I don't know, hundreds of deaths every year of people who get into accidents on motorcycles and they die because they weren't wearing a helmet. But I support your decision to not wear it, to be stupid if you want to be stupid. You don't want to wear a seatbelt? Don't wear a seatbelt. You're going to end up going through a windshield. 
You know, I mean, you know, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, you know, longtime listeners know where I stand with this. They really do. Um, and it's a shame, I think, if, if, but, but here's the thing. We've seen so many shoot headbutts. How many wrestlers have been forced to retire because of shoot headbutts? How many wrestlers suffered this terrible injury that Shibata did? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it or take the edge off of it or defend Shibata because I do think he's a moron or defend New Japan or anything like that. But just statistically, I mean, what are the odds that this would happen? I mean, and look, I know you can eliminate it completely by just, you can, you can make the odds zero by completely eliminating headbutts. I get that. But how many other times have we seen this? I can't recall any. You know, now we know the, um, and this is a bad job out of me because I, I didn't look it up before the show and I, I wasn't really planning on bringing it up, but we do know that the, uh, the young wrestler that actually died in the ring wrestling Shibata, ironically enough, had a similar injury, but, um, you know, it, 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 so we have seen similar things to this, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly rare and particularly from these shoot headbutts, the dehydration had a lot to do with it. I mean, just look at the blunt force trauma that MMA fighters and kickboxers take to the head. And even in that world where you can eliminate shots to the skull and where many of these fighters are dehydrated because they dehydrate themselves to cut weight, start rattling off these, you know, these, these, it's, it's, I do think there's some level of overreaction to all of this too. And that's with me saying that you can ban these things. I'm fine with that. But I, I do think there's some overreaction. It's, it's sort of the comparison I always like to make is putting a stoplight. It's my stoplight thing where, okay, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a corner that, that has existed since 1870 and it's now 2017 and some dopey kid goes chasing a ball into the street and he gets hit by a car and dies. Okay. And, you know, at the town hall meeting the next month, everyone demands that they put a stoplight on that corner because we're not going to have a tragedy like this again. Even though the dopey kid ran out there chasing the ball and got hit by the car. And, and, and maybe that was the only time anyone's ever been hit by a car in 140 years on that corner. But God damn it, it happened once. So we've got to put a stoplight on that corner. Do we really, though? You know, what, are we preventing a once in every 140 year tragedy? Is that really super important to do? Is that really super important to, uh, you know, destroy the traffic flow in this town or whatever the case may be or inconvenience everyone for the next 140 years because of one tragedy? You know what I mean? And you see that sort of thing every day. Human nature is to overreact. Something bad happens. We have to do something. To, 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 we, look, you're not going to rewind time. You can't save the kid who chased the ball into the street, and you can't save Shibata at this point. It happened. So I do think there's a there's some level of, of you know, stoplight overreaction here, but 
That's that's not me saying that headbutts are good. I know, look, the end result of this is going to be Joe Lanza says headbutts are good. I understand that some people are, you know, they, that's what they take from things. But, you know, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to be fair here. I do think there's some level of a reaction. And, I, you know, I don't think everyone who does a headbutt is going to turn into Chris Benoit. And I, you know, just based on statistics, I don't think everyone who delivers a headbutt is going to die. I, I just don't. So I, I don't know. I, I, we'll see the next time I see one. Honestly, I don't think it's going to have any sort of profound effect on me. I, I think I'm going to be able to enjoy that sort of spot just the same. And like always, I'm just going to shake my head and say, wow, that was really fucking stupid. But you know what? It was really fucking cool. I enjoyed that. And hopefully Shabbat is okay. I mean, all the reports are, you know, he's he's okay. He just Look, if the worst thing that happens to Shibata now is he can never wrestle again, but, you know, he lives to be fucking 90 years old and does plenty more chapping, chapping, and chapping, fucking, and everything, then good for him. It, you know, maybe it's the best thing that he can't do this godforsaken, super dangerous activity, which... I mean, geez, I, I know wrestlers, a lot of wrestlers listen to this show, but, and they'd probably agree with me. You have to be a little unbalanced to get into this to begin with. So maybe good for him that he's forced to get out of it and go do, be a normal human. But I'm glad he's healthy. And, and look, on the slight chance that it is a work, you know, the, the other part of this, getting away from sort of the health aspect of it, on the slight chance that it is a work, I am so not offended by that either. I mean, I think that all of that is so overblown. Um, this is just a new era, man. Fans do not like to be worked. They do not like to be fooled. We all think we're so smart, and you know, we're all on the internet, and we all read our newsletters, and you know, it's it's. We do not like to be worked, and to me. If this is a worked injury, I don't see this any different than a worked broken finger or a worked broken arm or a, you know, JYD or the Sandman being blinded or uh, a worked broken neck or any of the other thousands and thousands of worked injuries that we've seen in pro wrestling. I would not be offended by this at all. And your mileage may vary. You may be offended by a worked injury that goes as far as this man almost died, and I understand that, and I don't have an issue with that. Me personally, doesn't offend me at all. Work me. Pro wrestling is based on being worked, and you can't, it's impossible for these promotions to work the, the fans anymore. It's become increasing. The jig is up. They don't even pretend it's real anymore. Oh, God, do I sound like Cornette now. Um, you know, and maybe the only way to work fans and really get into their emotions the way that that, that wrestling was able to do uh, decade years ago and decades ago, maybe wrestling needs to go to these sorts of extremes to work the fans. And if, if that's the case, I don't have a problem with it. If they had worked a broken neck with Shibata, I think I may have had a problem because it would be too close to, to Hanma. It would only be a month or two later and the same injury. I think that's crossing a line. That crosses my personal line of distaste. 
But if this turns out to be a worked injury, I don't find it distasteful. I don't. Any more than I would find a, a worked broken back or whatever else distaste. I, I mean, we just saw at the NXT tapings this week, Ember Moon uh, did a work shoulder injury and had a lot of people fooled for a couple of days. But then stories started going around, and I've heard it from multiple people now, that it's all storyline and it's all a work. Well, good on them for fooling everybody for two or three days. And she sold it tremendously. Uh, they, they said she was crying and had to be helped with the bag. Look, maybe we need to go to these extremes to work the fans now. Pro wrestling is based on working the fans. The best pro wrestling is when they do fool you. Think about some of the best storylines ever. Or Just a recent example. Look at the Punk Pipe Bomb promo, which was a tremendous promo and captured the imagination of wrestling fans. You know why? Because we didn't know where the line was drawn. They got us. And now we know that it was, you know, it was, it was, a, he was shooting, but it was a it, it was a work. It was, I don't want to call it a work shoot. But the office was in on it. They didn't know what he was going to say, but they they gave him permission to shoot. And they told him they were going to cut his mic once they felt he made his point and he was going too far. But what was so what was great? What was so great about the pipe bomb? What had everybody talking? We didn't know. They got us. What was so great about Shibata's feud with Tanahashi? It was because Tanahashi's book came out. And he talked about how bitter he was towards Shibata leaving the company. And they did promos back and forth about that bitterness. And we didn't know where the line was. We didn't know if they really hated each other or not. We didn't know if Shibata legit had to earn back the aces respect with that feud. And Tanahashi worked those matches in a different way. And he showed a different side. So maybe this is what promoters have to do now to get storylines over, to get us to believe. Do you want to believe again? It's just so hard now. We all want to be insiders and know what's going on. And we get mad when people like Dave Meltzer don't pull the curtain back far enough and all those sorts of things. So if this is a work, I'm happy on two counts. Number one, it means the man's healthy. And he gets to continue his career. And he was never as seriously injured as as everybody thought he was. That would be great. And number two, it means that they got us. And maybe we'll, and here's, you know what? Maybe we'll never know. Maybe he does return to the ring. Maybe they get that same doctor to quote unquote clear him. And we don't know where that line, again, it'll, just like the pipe bomb, we don't know where the line is. And maybe he does another headbutt. And we're all terrified because we don't know if the first one was legit. I'd have no problem with it. And by the way, 
people saying that it has to be legit because a, a real doctor made quote. There have been probably hundreds of pro wrestling injury angles that used real doctors to, to provide quotes or come on television or whatever the case may be. The doctor would lose no credibility if he was part, if he was playing along with a wrestling promotion and being part of their work storyline. We've seen it dozens of times. Real doctors involved. So that means nothing. Now, per, now look, with all of that said, I do believe that the, the injury is real. But I just, I'm playing, you know, devil's advocate here. And if it happens, you know, the, the doctor quotes mean absolutely nothing. So that's Shibata. Terrible situation, though. But I'm glad he's healthy. They say he uh, has, you know, all of his memory. He remembers the match and all those sorts of things. So that, those are great signs. And we did have a wrestler. I guess I should note this, too. I, we did have a wrestler who worked the show. Uh, when all the madness was going on and all the speculation whether this was a work or not, we did have a wrestler who worked the show who was in Japan at the time um, contact us and say, look, this is serious and it is real. So for whatever it's worth, um, because again, there were, there was, you know, various different, you know, wrestlers are so used to being worked that a lot of the wrestlers didn't necessarily believe there were wrestlers telling Dave Meltzer that they felt it was a work and Dave wasn't quite sure if he should believe them or not. But wrestlers by nature think everything's a work. You know, the most famous example is, uh, that Meltzer always likes to talk about is there's, there's, you know, been, Dozens of pro wrestlers who are convinced that the NFL is a work. So, I mean, wrestlers just by nature are used to people lying to them because it's a business where people lie to each other. It's all based on a lie. Let's talk some impact wrestling before we finish off with... uh the Evolve preview. We're going to do Evolve last because by the time a, a lot of you get around to listening to the show, especially since it's going out so late, the Evolve shows will be over. So this way, if you've seen the Evolve shows already, by the time you, if you listen to this podcast on Sunday or Monday or something like that, you can just turn it off early. See, I'm a nice guy. Everyone thinks Joe Lanza is like this asshole. You know, I, I just got, um, now, I never vanity search because, look, if you vanity search, you're asking for it, okay? So I don't vanity search. But I always have people email me, like, these nasty tweets about me and stuff like that. I have, like, these, uh, you know, these these hall monitors who always want to let me know who's talking shit about me. And I really wish they wouldn't do it. I, if you're listening and you're these people who send me these, just don't, okay? I don't, I don't need to see every tweet where people are, you know, burying me, calling me a piece of shit calling me a racist. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to see it. It just, I don't, if I wanted to see it, I'd look for it myself. I appreciate it that you guys got my back and you're looking out for me, but I really don't want to see that stuff. Um, but anyway, um, someone just sent me a tweet this week that somebody made saying, uh, that they love the site and, uh, they love everything about voice of wrestling, but Joel Lanza is a real piece of shit sometimes. And I'm just sitting there. And the reason I don't like seeing this stuff is because I'm sitting there scratching my head and I'm thinking, I've been behaving myself lately. What did I do to earn this man's scorn? 
this man or woman, I think it was a man. What did I do to earn this man's scorn where he was calling me a, uh, a real piece of shit? I don't know. Maybe it's because I popped for shoot headbutts. I, I maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, see, Joe Lanza is a nice guy. If you've seen the Evolve shows, you can cut out of here right after the uh, Impact Wrestling talk. But I wanted to touch on Impact Wrestling a little bit uh, this week because there was uh, actually two things I wanted to touch on. They just had another round of tapings, the second set of tapings under Jeff Jarrett. But I wanted to put to bed and close the book on a topic that uh, myself and Rich have talked about for months here, and that was the uh, Hardys who wanted – now Now let's make no mistake, and let me get this out here right in the open – the fact is, the Hardys wanted to stay with Impact Wrestling. If it were up to them, they'd be on Pop TV right now. Okay? They're in WWE because Impact Wrestling did not want them. Period. I mean, they wanted to stay. Why do you think Rebby Hardy went on that insane and insanely entertaining Twitter rant? Fuck that owl and all that noise because they wanted to stay. She wouldn't have reacted that way if they wanted out. Okay, it was an ugly divorce, but at the end of the day, they would have preferred to have stayed there. For reasons we talked about before on the show that I'm not going to go over again, even though they could probably make more money at the end of the day with WWE, they wanted to be in Impact Wrestling. But Rich and I argued, and this was a great point made by Rich, so I'll give him credit for it. Value is not equal. In other words, the Hardy's value to Impact Wrestling is not the, it was not the same as the Hardy's value to Ring of Honor or the Hardy's value to WWE or the Hardy's value to New Japan or whoever else. And our side of the argument was, despite all the supposed buzz that the Broken Hardy gimmick was garnering, They had no effect on ratings. Impact Wrestling did no house shows, so they weren't drawing fans to shows. And the Hardys were largely in control of their own merchandise. They had their own store and everything else. Impact Wrestling was far more valuable to the Hardys than the Hardys were valuable in return for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling was getting very little return on investment with the Hardys. And that's just a fact. Because show me where Impact Wrestling was making money off of the Hardys. Show me. They moved ratings in a significant way once. So it wasn't with, you know, increased revenue through ads or anything like that. There were no house shows. But Impact Wrestling was incredibly valuable to the Hardys because it gave them a two-hour infomercial every week to put over the Broken Hardy gimmick, which in turn earned them indie bookings, which in turn sold merch, which in turn made the Hardys money. So that's why they wanted to stay. In addition to what we can only presume were very high salaries, and a very light schedule. I would have probably chosen to stay too if I were... I mean, come on, they had a great deal. 
So this was one of the few media outlets that actually defended Impact Wrestling for, uh, for letting them go. It was a sound business decision. Didn't have to be as ugly as it was, but to, to us it was a sound business decision. And I wanted to present you some numbers now so we could put this to bed for anyone who didn't agree with us. I always believed, I always believed that the Broken Hardy stuff was overblown and meant very little impact. I always believed that, and now we have statistical evidence that I was right. Courtesy of Garrett Kidney, who does the impact reviews on this site and is the foremost expert on Earth of the history of TNA slash Impact Wrestling. He's seen every match that's ever made tape in the history of the company. Nobody knows more about Impact Wrestling slash TNA than Garrett Kidney. No one. On the planet. Courtesy of Garrett Kidney. Average impact rating in the eight weeks prior to the full Jarrett takeover. 291,875 viewers. We now have been, it's now been eight weeks since Jarrett took over. The average impact rating in the eight weeks since the Jarrett takeover, the first eight Jarrett shows. We're talking Kevin Matthews, Falaba, Congo Kong, Alberto Del Rio, and no Broken Hardies, with the exception of the very first week. The average, 307,000 viewers, 307,625 viewers. 307,600, wow, could I have botched this worse? 307,625 viewers is the eight-week average since Jarrett took over. The eight weeks prior to Jarrett, built around the Broken Hardys, 291,875 viewers. Guys, Impact is doing better without the Hardys. Better. Not only have they not lost a single viewer, they've gained viewers. Gained. The Hardys meant very little to Impact Wrestling. Very little. Uh, you know, we tried to explain it. Listen. Go listen to the tape. At the height of Broken Hardy Mania, we were saying that it was going to be a short-term thing that was going to fall off of a fucking cliff. And it did. They popped one rating for Impact Wrestling. That was not something that people were going to want to see every single week. I don't care how many people chant delete at indie shows. Listen, we're taking the W on this one, okay? We're taking the W on this one. Now, good for the Hardys. They turned this into a WWE deal. They turned this into a short Ring of Honor run. Ring of Honor was very crafty, taking advantage of this and popping the biggest house in the history of the company in Orlando with the Hardys on top. But the Hardys had more value to Ring of Honor and more value to WWE than they were ever going to have for Impact Wrestling. 
when it comes to this stuff, not just wrestling, but other forms of business too, value shifts depending on the, the, the environment. And Impact Wrestling made the right decision. They didn't, not only didn't need the Hardys, they're better off without them. So the second set of tapings under the Jarrett regime have taken place. And as of this recording, now 80 to 90% of the new talent that they rolled out on the first set of tapings either reappeared on the second set of tapings or in the case of Reno Scum, they're out via, you know, Adam Thornstow is injured, but they're, they're still, you know, in the company plans and with the company. They brought everybody back. So the speculation that a lot of these indie names, some of the people that I named earlier, Kevin Matthews, who's involved in a mid-card storyline right now, uh, Mario Bakura, people like that, um, Idris Abraham, the new LAX, and even some of the bigger names like Chris Adonis and Matt Morgan, who they've brought back, and people like that, Laredo Kid, Garza Jr., they all appeared at the second set of tapings. So um, it wasn't just a stopgap. They're using all of those people again. The only person who hasn't appeared as of the time of this recording is Falaba. Falaba is the only one who appeared at the first set of Jarrett tapings who has not appeared yet at the second set. And that may have changed since I recorded this. So those new faces are sticking around. Now they have brought in another set of new faces on these new tapings. I'm going to run through the names and I'm going to give you my quick take on whether I think it was a good idea for the company to bring them in and whether I think it was a good decision on the talents part to come in. And Anthem right now and Jarrett, they're chasing anybody with a name. Anybody with a name. If you have any sort of name value and you are a free agent, you've been contacted by T. I can promise you. I can promise you. We'll start with Matt Seidel. The story broken by Trevor, the Irish wrestling fan, very early in the week. He redebuted with Impact Wrestling. And look, I think this is a great decision by Matt Seidel. I really do. He's not allowed back in Japan, so no more New Japan for him. No more Dragon Gate. Those were no longer options. WWE, obviously, he hasn't been linked to them since... Uh, you know, the ugly divorce the first time. He's not going back there anytime soon. So what were his options? Ring of Honor with his pal Delirious or or Impact? He chose Impact. I can't knock the guy. Look, he's got to eat. Good decision. And I think it's a good decision to bring him in. Especially since the Jarrett, one of his major focuses here on the second set of tapings, has been to reinvigorate the X Division. Who better than Matt Seidel to throw into that mix? Sanjay Dutt redebuted with the company. Sanjay Dutt had offers on the table from everybody. He had a office slash performance center deal on the table with WWE. And of course, he's close to Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he was uh, booking Global Force at, at one point. He was the Global Force, whatever, Gen X, whatever they call their X division. Uh, he was that their champion before he lost the title to Cody Rhodes. He's attached at the hip at Jeff Jarrett. He had a tough decision to make. He chose to stay with Jarrett. He didn't want to move to Orlando. He has a family. He has a wife. Those things sort of complicated the decision. 
And he had a more comfortable, let's, you know, now look, he had a more comfortable gig with Jarrett. He's someone who he's familiar with, he's friends with, he's worked with. So Dutt chose Impact. Now, if he knew what we know now, <laughs> where WWE, like we talked about in the first half of the show, is pushing wrestlers of Indian descent, maybe his decision would have been different. But remember, the offer he had from WWE was a non-wrestler role. So, you know, I don't know how all that, maybe maybe he didn't miss out on anything. It's, it, you know, he would have been a coach at the Performance Center. He would have had an office position and all of those things. Look, maybe they would have said, hey, look, we're, we're going full steam ahead with this Indian thing. Can we talk you to getting back into the ring? And if he was guaranteed to push, maybe he would have done that. Either way, he chose Impact Wrestling. So that one, I you know, I'm not going to give him the full vote of confidence. It's possible he could have been in a better spot if he stayed behind. But there was no way of him knowing that they were going to do this, uh, this, this full-court press on India. I mean, none of us knew until a week ago. Crimson is back in Impact Wrestling. The reason this one is funny is because years ago, Kevin Matthews did a um, a tryout for Impact, uh, TNA at the time, of course. And um, the reason he was turned down, and he's you know he's posted this letter that he got from Terry Taylor. I think it was Terry Taylor many times on the internet is they told him that they liked him, but he looked too much like Crimson. And they already had Crimson, so they did not need Kevin Matthews. Flash forward about 10 years, and Crimson and Kevin Matthews are both in Impact Wrestling. So, there you go. Crimson has never done a thing for me. To me, he's just a guy. I don't think Impact needs him. I could totally see. What has Crimson ever done outside of TNA? So, I mean, I could see why he'd want to come back, but I don't see why Impact needs him. Former NWA World Champion Jax Dane. This is a good move. Jax Dane has improved tremendously, and I've been watching this guy for years in Texas. And he's gone from an average big dude to a guy who has excellent matches in places like Wrestle Circus, where the standard is high, and it's a super indie. And if you have a bad match, you really stand out. And he's hung on that roster just fine. I think Jax Dane is a good signing and good for Jax Dane. I know he had some New Japan tours over the years. Uh, that well run, ran dry when New Japan stopped doing business with the NWA. Um, he was a guy who was involved in WWE developmental many years ago. But I think it was injury plagued and I'm not even positive he ever stepped in a ring. Um, I'd have to look that up. But... You know, he was, that was probably not going to be a possibility for him. But uh, th- th- this is a good move for him, and I think it's a good move for Impact. I think Jack Stane is much improved, and, um, and, and he could be a guy who could stand out. Desmond Xavier is kind of a surprising one, because you think a guy who's on, you know, an up-and-coming guy like him would either be on WWE's radar or would hold out until they were, until he was on WWE's radar particularly if they're going to do another Cruiserweight Classic at some point, which seems to be on hold right now. But you would think at some point they're going to do one. He'd be a perfect fit. Uh, but listen, it's, you know, when you have a chance for, you know, exposure on, on national television with what many people still per- perceive to be the number two promotion in the United States. I don't think that they are. I would make an argument they're number four. Um, but look, it's, you know, I can't kill the kid. For signing with Impact, I can't. I can't kill him. Who knows when WWE is going to come call on if they do it all? It'll be there down the line. 
And as you've seen, there were a number of years where WWE wouldn't touch you if you came from TNA. That's not the case anymore. Look at AJ Styles and Bobby Roode. Eric Young. So I, you know, I can't kill Desmond Xavier for, 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 for making this leap. Loki. Every time you think he's burnt every bridge. This is like the one bridge he hasn't burnt, though. He keeps coming back to impact every couple of years. And he, he did it in his, uh, he returned in his Hitman gear. Hitman gear, they got him fired from New Japan. And spoiler alert, he's your new X-Division champion. How about that? I like Loki. I think everybody, you're not going to find many people who don't like Loki bell to bell. You know what I mean? Like, there's some rest. there's not many wrestlers who universally, everybody enjoys their bell to bell. You always have the one dope who says, nah, that guy stinks. Oh, Masala, ah, he's an idiot. He killed himself literally by getting dropped on his head. Fuck him. Oh, Kobashi, ah, he's overrated. All those stupid chops. You know, Shawn Michaels, ah, exaggerated bumps. He was no good. You always find one dope who doesn't, you know, no matter how great a wrestler is. Low-key is one of those guys. I don't think... You cannot find someone who doesn't think that Loki is, is a great wrestler. You really can't. I, everyone likes Loki. It's crazy. Him and uh, I think Rey Mysterio Jr. is another one. Have you ever heard anyone bash Rey Mysterio Jr.? And I don't think I have. And I can tell you, I, I've heard Masawa bashers, Kobashi. Uh, uh, there's people who don't think Bret Hart was any good. There's people who didn't like Shawn Michaels. There's obviously people who don't like Okada. There's people who don't like Tanahashi. Where are the people who don't like Loki? I think everyone recognizes that this guy's awesome. But he's his own worst enemy. I think Loki, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Terry Funk. I mean, those are the three that I, th- I think I've never heard anyone say. I've never heard anyone say, oh, Terry Funk, he's terrible. I, don't, I hate Terry. I can't watch Terry Funk matches. You just never heard that, right? I mean, I've never heard that. But there's not many guys. But believe it or not, just even someone like, um, you know, Minami Toyota, like, there's people who didn't think she was good. Ah, she, she's a spot monkey. She did too much. She worked too fast. But oddly enough, I think Loki's one of those guys that's universal. Everybody likes him. He's just a surly fella who's tough to get along with, I guess. Remember how he uh, he, he basically, um, I forget who it was, I don't know if it was Aki Bono or somebody else, but he basically got injured because you know some fat dude in All Japan fell on top of him and All Japan wouldn't pay his bills or something. He basically left All Japan because a fat dude fell on him. That really happened. Christina Von Erie, who, one of Rich's running jokes is that she's the reigning and not quite defending Global Force uh, Wrestling Women's Champion. And Global Force is now merging with Impact Wrestling. How about that? No one saw that coming. Dave Penzer is back. Good for Dave Penzer. 
So Impact the Reborn, continuing to stock the shelves with new and returning talent. Look, the show is still largely boring. But I'll give these set, the first set of tapings, they were boring. I mean, there were a lot of new faces. That Kevin Matthews match was terrible. Oh, man, did you guys see that match? Go out of your way to watch Kevin Matthews and, um, oh, what is she, Sienna. Allison K, right? She calls herself Sienna in Impact. And they faced uh, Braxton Sutter and Allie. It was just a horrendous... Kevin Matthews looked terrible. God, he looked awful. He is not a good pro wrestler. He's bad. He can talk. He's a good little promo, and he's very hateable. He's a tremendous heel. Because he's naturally hateable. But, oh, man, was that match terrible. Ugh. Matthews was by far the worst... By far the worst worker in that... The worst wrestler in that match. He was like the sixth best wrestler in a, in a tag team match. And it's because... Congo Kong did a run-in. And um, someone else did a run-in. And he was actually... In a match with four people, he was the sixth best person in the match. I, I swear to you, it was so bad. It was two weeks ago on Impact. Now I want to see my man Falaba come back. I liked that, you know, he in his little six man match, you know, a few weeks ago. I thought he looked all right. I think he's unique. So anyway, there's a little impact wrestling talk. Look, you guys know it's a slow news week. I mean, come on. I'm really digging deep here. Let's wrap this up and we'll uh preview Evolve 82 and Evolve 83. And again, if you're listening to this late in the cycle and you've seen these shows already or these shows have happened already, I'm doing you a little favor here. You can move right along with your day and skip the last 20 minutes or so. Evolve 82, Queens, New York, the Laboom venue, which is becoming sort of the trademark venue, the flagship venue, if you will, for Evolve. Great crowds. They draw very well there. Matt Riddle, and this is on uh, the 22nd, Saturday. Matt Riddle defends against Timothy Thatcher. This is the WWN championship that Riddle won in Orlando in that six-way match with all of the other WWN family champions and whatnot. Very disappointing match, in my opinion. Came down the Riddle and Tracy Williams, but and, and their portion of the match was fine. But I didn't like the elimin. You know, I thought they rushed through the elimination. I just the match didn't work for me. That was at the WWN Super Show in Orlando. Watch Gabe have you know if if I think Riddle's winning this obviously, but imagine Gabe putting another title back on Thatcher, who just gets the wrong kind of heat. And it happened again to Thatcher in Orlando. I mean, every time that guy wrestled, he completely killed the crowd. It's uncanny how this guy kills a crowd. I mean, he's not a terrible... I mean, you know, I talk about this all the time, but it's like, his performances are fine. It's just there's no reason to give a shit. And no one does. And the guy doesn't adjust. He's just such a bore. 
Zack Sabre Jr. against Drew Galloway. This is a non-title match. This is uh, Galloway's final weekend before he's full-time with WWE moving forward. His first night, he's going to do the do the honors for Zack Sabre Jr. I don't know why they couldn't just make it a title match. I guess there's some storyline reason that I'm not that I'm missing. I don't know. But that should be excellent. Drew's going to work hard. Last man standing, Darby Allen and Ethan Page. Again, I think, you know, I talked about it before, how wrestling fans just don't want to be worked anymore. It's just a new breed of wrestling fan because I had an interesting conversation on Twitter that apparently in Orlando, when Page and Darby Allen had their wild plunder where Allen took all of those crazy bumps, that a lot of fans walked out on the match because they couldn't, they didn't like the level of violence being displayed. I don't think I've ever heard of such a thing in pro wrestling. Where fans walked out on a match because they weren't comfortable with the level of violence on display. Guys, pro wrestling is violent. I I, I don't know. That surprised me. I, I you know, I know Darby Allen does some crazy things and maybe people were uncomfortable with the possibility of seeing a man break his own neck or be badly injured. But but I mean, what are we doing here? It's pro wrestling. This is absurd. And Darby Allen's crazy. Don't get me wrong. But I've I over the years I've seen guys that were just as crazy or crazier than Darby Allen. Whether it's Sabu or you know, whatever you know, death matches you want to bring up. I just brought up Joey Janela, who's out of his fucking mind. And uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think Darby Allen is so over the top where fans should be walking out on his matches, but this one's going to be crazy, too. Um, you know, even people brought that up to Gabe Sapolsky, too, on Twitter. And he was like, well, look, then don't don't watch the match. Because they're going to do more crazy shit. And this sort of relates back to Shibata. It's Darby Allen's choice, man. And maybe this is, you know, better for a long-term, long-form discussion. But this is what has gotten Darby Allen over. And is that necessarily good? Or is that something that's bad? Will other wrestlers see Darby Allen getting over because he's risking, literally risking his health and potentially his life and say, that's what I need to do to get over and get booked and be in the promotion that's a stepping stone to, to WWE. So maybe it would be an interesting long-form discussion to talk about those sorts of things. I'm in the camp where fans shouldn't feel guilty about that sort of thing. I could see the argument where maybe people would say, no, we need to stop reacting to, to the sorts of things that Darby Allen does or Katsuyori Shibata does so wrestlers aren't encouraged to do these things. Me? I think the injury rate in wrestling is shockingly low considering the risks that these people take. And I think accidents and tragedy and the occasional tragedy are just part of the deal. And I can separate myself from that stuff. I am sh- I am shocked that the serious injury rate isn't much higher than it is in pro wrestling. I really am. It's shocking to me how good these people are at this. 
where we don't see people die. I mean, it's amazing to me. But that's for another day. Tag Team Championship, catch point. Fred Yehi and Tracy Williams defend against catch point. Chris Dickinson and Jaka. I love the Chris Dickinson and Jaka team. Uh, I thought the match they had against South Pacific Power Trip was arguably the best match of WrestleMania weekend. I haven't seen every show yet. I've seen about nine shows. And shockingly, I haven't seen every show yet. Because there's like 20 shows that made tape. I mean, it's ridiculous. Every time I think I'm getting closer to watching every WrestleMania weekend show, I still have like six left. And I'm like, I'm never getting through these shows. But from what I've seen, the Chris Dickinson and Jaka match for South Pacific Power Trip was the best match I've seen for the week. And I didn't see the other South Pacific Power Trip match yet, the one from the Progress show. Disclaimer. I will see it at some point. I'm a couple shows behind with Progress, so it's going to take me a while to get to it. But I like Dickinson and Jaka. I really do. And I was never a Dickinson guy, but he's growing on me. He reminds me of Buzz Sawyer. He really does. The way he the way he looks, first of all, because he kind of looks like Buzz Sawyer, but the way he moves around the ring, too, and some of the crazy bumps he takes, he, he reminds me of Buzz Sawyer. And I think Jaka is one of these guys who has gotten away from Chikara and has improved tenfold, both in the ring and with his persona. Once you get that cartoon stink off of you and you're allowed to really spread your wings and you don't have Quackenbush sending you nasty emails after every match, it's amazing how these guys improve when they get away from that, that toxic environment at Chikara. As for Yehi and Williams, I am not all in on that team. They have not had good matches. They usually have disappointing matches. I would like to see a title change there. I don't know if we're going to see one, but I like Dickinson and Jaka better. Yehi and Williams have been much better in singles environments than they have been as a team. Keith Lee faces Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly debuts this weekend. I think he's a perfect fit. I don't know how long he's going to be there. There's still rampant speculation that both O'Reilly and Fish are headed to WWE. We'll see. In the meantime, we're going to see Kyle O'Reilly have some cool matches on this weekend. Keith Lee, a lot of people's breakout star of WrestleMania weekend. Another guy I've been watching for years in Texas. No surprise to me that he's getting over with the masses. And another crushing loss for Ring of Honor. How you let him slip through your fingers. Now look, a lot of these people who leave Ring of Honor, you know, there's nothing they could have done to keep them. But the bottom, I mean, God, it's depressing some of these guys getting away from them. And look, Sinclair is just not going to get into bidding wars for these guys because look, they're going to keep the cost down and as long as, you know, to them, they just replace them with someone else. They're not running that thing like a traditional wrestling company. ACH versus Austin Theory. Also appearing Priscilla Kelly and Larry Dallas. Will Larry Dallas show up? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. If he, I guess we'll find out if Larry will honor the booking. April 22nd in Queens, New York. Evolve 83 the next day in Brooklyn. 
Zach Sabre Jr. defends against Leo Rush. Zach's winning that one, obviously, but uh, has the potential to be a great match. Biggest match of Leo Rush's life. Non-title, I quit. Matt Riddle versus Drew Galloway. So Riddle will win that and send Galloway packing. Also has the potential to be great. Fred Yehi versus Kyle O'Reilly. Man, am I looking forward to that. Oh, man, could that be good. Darby Allen versus Keith Lee. I have a problem with this match. Not because I don't think it'll be good. Look, Keith Lee tossing around Darby Allen, all in. I'm pushing the chips in the middle of the table. All in on that one. The problem I have with this is the last man standing match is the night before. I would have preferred, from a booking perspective, to not book Allen or Page until after that match takes place to put over the danger of the last man standing match. But they're both booked in matches the next night. It kind of takes the edge off of the last man standing match, doesn't it? For what has been a, a blood feud that has gone on for over a year. You think these men are out to kill each other. But they're both wrestling the next night. I mean, I don't know. I just... How many tickets is Keith Lee versus Darby Allen selling? You didn't have to announce that match. You know what I mean? You could have waited and just... You know, I had that match happen the next day. I don't know. Maybe I'm nitpicking here. ACH versus Jaka. Interesting match there. I think that has a chance to be real good. All of these matches, these are good lineups. Austin Theory versus Ethan Page. Again, I don't know if I would have announced an Ethan Page match until... You know, they could have been in this little section. The the also scheduled to appear. Tracy Williams, Chris Dickinson, Priscilla Kelly, and Stokely Hathaway. It could have also said Darby Allen and Ethan Page because who knows if they'll be in any condition to wrestle. Put over the stip. And usually Gabe is real good